With regard to food shortage, yes, we did talk about food shortages. And, uh, and it's going to be real. The, the price of these sanctions is not just imposed upon Russia. It's imposed upon an awful lot of countries as well, including European countries and our country as well. For God's sake, this man cannot remain in power. God bless you all, and may God defend our freedom, and may God protect our troops. Thank you for your patience. Thank you. So, how's it been, Kyle? Uh, I mean, obviously, you sound it's divine right there. Yeah, right. Nah. Um, I don't know. I, you know, not that I enjoyed being unemployed for all of its, all of the things that means, but going from unemployed and having, you know, a fair amount of time for me to spend going to the gym or like writing for this or, you know, doing uh, any number of things that a, a human being should have time for and then hopping directly into a job and, you know, interviews and other gigs that are taking up around 60 hours this week. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do that right now. I want to, I want to go to bed now. Yeah. Going back into that grind of the wheels of capital is, a uh... Not a Very huge miserable. fan. Um, yeah, but whatever. Uh, I'm trying to. I'm trying very hard to uh, manifest the mania that I was that I was uh, exhibiting at the very end of my uh, of my of my time as an unemployed person. I mean, you can't force that stuff, unfortunately. Yeah, can, sucks. I mean, you can force yourself to still get stuff done when you're in a depressed state, which I need to get to because I haven't written anything for any of the bits for our impending NATO episode. But yeah, um, you can't really force yourself to feel good. No, it's a bit tough. Um, but anyhow, how have you been doing? I mean, like I said, I've been depressed and therefore haven't done jack shit for <laughs> productivity. Always. Um, kind of uh, yeah, builds on itself when you bits, do that shit too. I try bits for the next episode in a week, and I have a certain thing I need to get done for the end of uh, next month. So, you know, oh, five yeah. weeks, yeah. Um, both of those need to get done in time, so we'll uh, hopefully... I mean, I, not just hopefully, I'll get it done, but I, I may not like it. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be uh, unpleasant for a little bit, maybe. Yeah, I'll just sit down and force myself to type and be like, damn it, I could be doing something fun right now instead. <laughs> I could be getting stoned and playing video games. Why am I doing exactly. this? <laughs> um, for you people, for you 12 out there, I, I yeah, see you. you. You better consider yourself lucky, you know. <laughs> I, I mean, I do, I do like doing this, and I like the end result a lot, too. You know, mm, it's yeah. well worth it. But just in the, you know how it is when you're not feeling uh-huh. it, doing work in the moment, it's just like, this is shitty. <laughs> oh yeah. No, uh, even like making this, 
working on this episode, like there, there was a point in my mania where I was like, yes, 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 writing, yes. And then, of course, uh, it comes a little closer. I have that vacation time that, you know, I just felt good, obviously, but, you know, it's a, it's a vacation. I'm not writing on it. And then I got to work again. And now I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, dreading it until the last like three days have really been able to sit down and do a lot more thankfully but yeah it's again like you're yeah, pushing well, I mean, yourself it's, it's a lot of it's very dense stuff that here you know this is not even, oh my god yeah even, I, I mean these left in the past are more even more, more work for you compared to our regular episodes so <laughs> yeah honestly though like most of this is me just like sifting through articles a lot of um there used to be a uh magazine and and it may still be around but i know that it was doing like I think it was doing monthly like reports on this exact conflict called current history. And so there was a lot of there's a lot of, you know, there's plenty of bullshit to sift through. But also the current history people were just like they seemed relatively uh, sympathetic to like Sandino, who we'll talk about and to the Nicaraguans. So, you know, something there. Yeah, but that's still hours they and had hours like of months. they of had a monthly reading. fucking magazine for a six six year long uh war so yeah plenty of it yeah this is uh this is a very dense concept and uh again this might not even be the last of these we do but it will be it will, it will be the last we do in this set we'll be we'll be moving on to a different yes, topic yes. I think, next month i think but, i'm gonna do something i'll 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 let you guys know but i think i have a good idea for it but well yeah i guess we're uh we'll get Jump right into it. Uh, welcome to Left in the Past, a subsidiary of uh, Unsociablist Media and LLC. Obviously, um, I'm Phil <laughs> and I'm Kyle. Or we do it the other way on. Okay. Oh wait, 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 wait. Yeah. So anyway, welcome to Left in the Past, a subsidiary of Unsociablist Inc. I am Kyle. And I'm Phil. And I guarantee you the audience loved hearing the same thing back to back. That's good podcasting. That's folks. great podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, we'll, uh, be jumping back into, uh, talking about the occupation of Nicaragua, but I'm sure that this time around, it's that they, uh, it got all sorted out and they definitely weren't taken advantage of by the ravages of capitalism. Right. So you'll remember from the last episode that we kind of closed out right at the end of the 1909-1910, um, coup against, Jose Santos Zelaya, who was the liberal uh, elected leader, you know, he was trying, he was a very big nationalist dude trying to bring a lot more money into Nicaragua than, you know, the, the very long conservative reign had kind of given away a lot of concessions to American businesses. Um, and he got fucking oust for exactly that. Um, the Taft administration, headed by that guy that we remember the very silly name of, Philander Knox. Uh, in the State Department, uh, and who himself had a lot of connections to banks and, uh, you know, finance capital. You know, corruption, it's not gone today, but it was like, it was pretty, they didn't, they just kind of didn't bother to to hide any of it back then, at least. At least, uh, at least when it came to business interests outside of the country, which is, Interesting because, like, there was certainly an anti-intervention, anti-imperialist kind of bend bent to a lot of kind of Americans, mostly liberal groups, uh, people that were 
pretty uh, protectionist in in the old style way. So like there was a kind of some opposition to this, but generally there was no stopping anybody from going in. So they got rid of Zelaya and put in their their buddy uh, Adolfo Diaz, who is of course a friend of La Luce and uh, La Luce and Los Angeles mining. So yeah. in, another in business his interest whole thing when they put him in there was uh, def- definitely supporting the people of Nicaragua and not at all just being a puppet with his hand shoved up his ass. Exactly. Yeah, definitely not a puppet. Um, but he was very pliable, very uh, kind to United States business interests and very kind to specifically banking interests. Um, after the the coup, the, you know, the the. The money was drained. Adolfo Diaz paid himself out of the, uh, the, the, the funds of the country, essentially, for his support of the coup, as well as paying for Americans who had donated, donated, uh, money to the coup as well. So he's emptied his coffers in order to essentially repay the people who have cooed his country in his for his benefit. Yeah, uh, which, uh, which I mean, I'm sure for all his trouble, he was left in there for a long, happy life, and uh, he definitely didn't just get thrown on his ass. Well, you'd be surprised because Diaz shows back up a bunch of times. Like, whenever they need somebody to fill in this, this spot, you know, they need somebody who's going to be like, you know, he's going to listen to the Brown Brothers banks, he's going to listen to the Marines... They get Diaz in there. And so he's just a recurring, like he's that he's that um like that mid boss villain in RPG you keep seeing like every single chapter, and you're like, is uh this can't be really, this guy's kind of lame? Is he the big bad? It's like no, he's just a puppet for the big nah, bad. He's but just he, like you'll the, see him all the, the fucking time. Yeah, he's the lieutenant guy um for the big bad, who's actually like the U.S. State Department. Uh, but the essentially what we're talking about here is whenever uh the end of that war. That coup came. Uh, Nicaragua is in a horrible financial situation, and they're in a spot where essentially they need cash. And one of the things that this coup was in benefit for was for essentially the banks, uh, who through um, purchasing power and through uh, treaties were allowed to essentially buy up uh officially 49% of a newly established national bank and the rights to collect on the receipts for that national bank who they were essentially they had to give millions of dollars in loans piecemeal mostly but ultimately millions of dollars in loans to keep that bank afloat so it's entirely controlled and pegged to the dollar uh based in New York you know it's entirely withholden uh, beholden to bankers in Wall Street. Well, that seems very healthy for the the uh, personal freedom and liberty of the Nicaraguan people to do what they want with their government. That's a, that's a healthy way to have that when they have no control in their capital. And so I want to read from uh, specifically the Brown Brothers Bank. They have on their website a um, some stuff that that talks about their involvement in geopolitics. They're very um, they're circumspect. You know, they know that their past they weren't always their best. I mean, I respect them for printing absolute truths on their website. Mm-hmm. Um, even if those truths have no shame for the evil things they've done. 
Now, they were involved in a lot of, um, you know, p- former territories of Spain, as well as current territories of Spain prior to the uh, Spanish-American War, which was really just the tail end of a bunch of civil wars that we kind of injected ourselves into. But uh, since like the mid 1800s, they were involved in a lot of the financial uh, finaglings that were going on in Latin America. And they said geopolitics always colored the role of American bankers in Latin America, no more so than in the late 19th century. Eager to curb the influence of European powers in what it considered its own backyard, the United States moved to assert control over the governments in a region, in the region, sometimes through military interventions, but more often by a policy of economic imperialism backed by force. This dollar diplomacy was the backdrop for Brown Brothers' two ill-fated ventures in Latin America. The first came in 1911 when the United States State Department brokered a loan to the government of Nicaragua. And the following year, Brown Brothers and Co. and another New York merchant bank, J.W. and Sil- J. and W. Seligman and Co. each advanced $750,000 in one-year notes at six percent to be used for currency reform. Banco Nacional de Nicaragua, with partner James Brown the great-grandson of the founder of Brown Brothers, as president, was incorporated to serve as the depository and fi- fiscal agent for the loan. So essentially so he was a this failed banker. grandson. He got bumped down to just local <laughs> branch guy. <laughs> yeah, he got pushed down to the local branch, except that he was still – he was still um, at the time a uh, a partner with the, the bank and um, – he essentially got to. He, well, he I mean, was like then many in, fail sons slash grandsons. You still have plenty of money and stuff, but they don't give you as much responsibility. Yeah, they got a few other kids that they can, you know, play with. You know, see if they have any anything to offer. Um, but the you know the the bank officially um, ran, or the Brown Brothers Bank officially ran the uh, National Bank of Nicaragua after 1911, and that was essentially designed by the state department yeah so he was he was more of a figurehead but you gotta have that name that the family name there yeah um they continue unfortunately nicaragua nicaragua struggled to pay repay the loan and brown brothers would have to wait another seven years to recover its principal and interest oh no what a hard it's a hard knock life for banks yeah um, but you know what? They needed to make sure that they were safe, that they could get that payment back. And that's pretty much where we we lead up to when Diaz in 1912 is really fucking struggling. Well, we uh, so that catches us up to a kind of a combination of a summary of last uh, last week, last month, I should say, coupled with an introduction of one of our new recurring villains, which will be Brown Bank. We'll yep, see yep, yep. a lot of them throughout this uh, whole affair. They, uh, they're Brown Brothers Harriman now, BBH, which I'm sure somebody has seen or, you know, generally, you know, these, those, those names, um, the Harriman shit I've heard through a lot of, like, if you're looking through private equity kind of schemes, they're involved, but, um, I don't encourage anybody to do it because it's just, it's upsetting, uh, but yeah, essentially, we're looking at um, 
a the end of the Taft administration. Um, the people like uh, a famous name you may know, Smedley Butler and his Marines are sent in to. Yeah, you know what's fun about this guy? I, I was listening to um, there's a podcast called uh, "Hell of a Way to Die," which uh, it's like a leftist, and I, I I use that word as they used it because I'm not I I'm a communist. I don't like using the word leftist, but um, they call themselves a leftist military pod. Um, and there are things about them that I don't always agree with, like everyone, but, uh, pretty good interviews and pretty good content for the most part. Um, but they were talking with a guy who recently wrote a book about Smedley Butler specifically, uh, in Haiti because he ran the police forces, not, uh, it was a little later than, than the events we're talking about right now, but he was like a Quaker, um, a posh kid from the main line here in near Philly. Uh, and he, uh, was the son, I think of a congressman, but he didn't want to do any of that shit. He wanted to be like when the Spanish American war came up, he was like, man, I want to fucking fight stuff, man. I can't do this. I got to go and do things. So he enlisted even though he was too young, uh, but he got caught essentially. And they were like, well, you're enlisted, so you're you're in here now, but you're going to be working on the base. You're not going to go into war. So he has this massive, like, chip on his shoulder for the first part of his career. Um, oh, dang, I didn't get to go murder people in yeah. person. I have to do the paperwork for other people murdering people. You'll, you'll get, you know, you move into this weird place where you kind of like some of the things that Smedley Butler says, because he's the guy who said war is a racket you know he he called himself a gangster for capitalism um but he also you know ran essentially an apartheid regime in haiti for us and he ran the philly police department in uh the 20s and essentially you know he he, you know what the fucking cops are like in now i mean the cops in the 20s were specifically just there to protect business interests and keep people from striking and that kind of shit that's early red scare shit he was just someone who was in a position where he knew he couldn't be touched so he may as well speak the truth of the matter and not the uh comfortable lie that most big figures like to tell us Admittedly, though, he was offered, uh, if anybody knows anything about this, in 1933 or 34, there was something called the business plot. Um, And the business plot, this is a tangent, but it's, it's connected to Smedley Butler. The business plot was a group of people, including one Prescott Bush, who you may know uh, from such films as being father of H.W. Bush. Um, but oh yeah, I've heard of this celebrity before. Yeah, Prescott Bush, who uh, along with a number of other high finance and uh, big, you know, big moneyed interests, uh, essentially created a plot to overthrow the FDR administration because they, like Prescott Bush in particular, were much more aligned with. The Nazis and fascism. Uh, Prescott Bush was essentially running uh, trade for these for the Nazis at throughout the war until part of the long game. As we know, uh, the Bush family has been fully rehabilitated to be good people now. Yeah, they're totally cool people. Um, 
but they the but, you know don't worry about what Prescott did, but we should still worry about what Prescott did. So yeah, sorry. don't worry about <laughs> what, that. Might be a fun one later. Uh, but they uh, they they needed a figurehead, so they tried to tap up Smedley Butler, and Smedley, being like the the good Democratic narc that he is, went and told on them, and that's how they found that's how they found out about the business plot. So um, I mean, so this Smedley guy basically because he was so out for his own self interests and so aware of just exactly what role he played, still had some a little bit of he still owned a little bit even when he was a shitty piece of human garbage. Right, he's like, you know, there there's so much. It's like he was a racist like everybody of his time. Although he was a Quaker, so he had like a slightly less vehemently gross views. Uh, it, you know, you take. I think that some of these these people, especially at the turn of the 19th, uh, 20th century, like they have such a weird catech like because that's 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 when Marx thought that the world was going to change. You know, the end of the 20th or the 19th century, where when all of these contradictions were coming to a head. And I think that it produced such weirdly sometimes interesting, oftentimes evil, but always neurotic people. And so you get these people like Smedley Butler. Yeah, I mean, for all of Marx's accurate predictions, uh, he was he was definitely a little too optimistic when on how long he, people could be controlled and contained. <laughs> I think that there there's a good thing to be said about, uh, yeah, like, no need to be doctrinaire about it, but I think Marx definitely was right in saying that the cataclysm was coming, and it did come uh, in 1914, you know, and unfortunately, uh, it just was capable of realigning itself. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what I'd say. He he was maybe uh, optimistic. He certainly was too, too optimistic for sure. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, uh, Smedley Butler is sent down there, uh, in 1910, essentially, uh, to protect the interest and shore up, uh, with, um, with the people of Nicaragua, essentially making sure that everybody is going to pay their debts. So he goes down there and has to, you know, essentially establish a, a guard with himself and a couple hundred Marines. And he's down there and he says, uh, explicitly in uh, one of his, I can't remember the writing, but I got it from a uh, a newspaper that was being published during the Vietnam era for for um, soldiers who didn't want to be in Vietnam. But he said, I spent 33 years and four months in active service as a member of our country's most agile military force, the Marine Corps. I spent most of my time being a high-class muscle man for big business, for Wall Street, and for bankers. In short, I was a racketeer for capitalism. Thus, I helped make Mexico, and especially Tampico, safe for American oil interests in 1914. I helped make Haiti and Cuba a decent place for National Bank, now a part of PNC, to collect revenues in. And I helped purify Nicaragua for the International Banking House of Brown Brothers in 1909 to 1912. Uh, he goes on to say, like, yeah, he did all these other shit, horrible things. At least things, we know that the, uh, people in Haiti and Cuba were put under very caring hands. Because as someone who banks with PNC, they've assured me many times that they're a, a company that cares more about their banking customers than about any of their big business interests. Of course, yeah. And that's but... why I've gotten uh, – over. that's why I used to get overdraft fees back when I was even poorer that were – uh, for four cents, like $80, you know, wow. very caring about their little people. What kind? 
Oh my god! No, I mean, PNC is yeah. P, for for the record, I, I PNC, I too, PNC so because it's you know it's, it's convenient um, because it's everywhere. But they're evil, and their predecessors were almost certainly just as evil, if not more so, because they could get away with more shit more openly. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he's talking about the Dominican Republic and uh, Haiti and Cuba, uh, and the Dominican Republic and Haiti went under essentially administration, went into uh, basically being a protectorate, which is a very euphemistic way of saying a colony, uh, a financialized colony of the United States. But, um, yeah, he moves on. He goes on. Uh, I'll, I'll read the rest if you don't mind. That little passage. Uh, he goes on to say, I helped make the Honduras right for American fruit companies in 1903. I brought light to the Dominican Republic for American sugar interests in 1916. In China in 1927, I helped see to it that Standard Oil went its way unmolested. And that was from a uh, 1935 pulled from the last harassed GI newspaper. Yeah, it's uh he he's uh, honest in the same way I feel like we 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 look at like Eisenhower when in his closing address being honest. It's like but you did that. It's like but, I, but I, you I did I've done evil things for the name of money continuing to be money. At it's least like, yeah, and now he's a hero. At least Smedley Butler has like the Smedley Butler has at least like the 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 guilt. I think I would. That, I don't know if there's really like guilt. I think it's 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 just uh, dis. It, it's he doesn't feel any need to hide it. He feels he feels uh, he seems like someone who's like yeah, I did all that stuff, and history will likely forget anyways. But I I don't give a shit here. You can, I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, he he's 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 making sure that like those quotes tell you right there that like we were. No matter what they call it, dollar diplomacy or whenever Wilson came in, call, came in and called it pan-Americanism, what it means is American United States influence being wielded in favor of American interest in finance. And so uh, like throughout that short period of time, even uh, multiple presidents uh, were and presidential candidates were chosen basically by the American minister in Nicaragua, who wielded a significant influence as the key liaison, not just to the State Department, but also to the, you know, like, like Philander Knox, the very intertwined with uh, banks, governmental employees, and people who controlled El Banco Nacional. So, yeah, so these, uh, and I mean, these essential coups of governments from within their own government is not like it's not it's it's important to note in this specific example because Nicaragua is such a special case. But at the same time, bear in mind we're doing we do this kind of stuff all the time. Like oh, this yeah. is Nicaragua is anecdotal. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's just it, like yeah, we we uh, we get military control. We have there's a reason we have over 500 military installations the world over compared to the next compared to Britain's eight as second place. Yeah. Um. So, like, you know, after 1912, when there's this horrible, you know, ruinous, essentially financial situation going on, uh, Diaz, who is horribly un, um, he's unpopular, his election is ensured by the American ambassadors and ministers essentially being like, we don't know. The banks aren't going to accept this guy for the presidency he's not going to be uh allowed to run he's not going to be allowed to be voted on 
Um, they did the same thing for Emiliano Shamaro, who we remember from being uh, one of the generals on Diaz's side, on the conservative side in the 1909 coup. Uh, and essentially, the State Department kept doing this thing, you know, like when they say Bolshevism, it's the same thing. They Well, similar thing that they're doing with Zelayism. Take they're a name to, and turn it into a swear word. Yep. Uh, they're Stalinist. Uh, they're Zelayist. Uh, I mean, just, uh, just wait until 20 years when Putinist is uh, just oh, thrown around willy-nilly. I'd be I mean, very surprised not, if they aren't already doing that. I would like that, to but. note, because, because we feel like we need to say it so much on this podcast, we don't like Putin. No, I think and it's pretty obvious. Okay. Um, if you like to <laughs> hear all the reasons we don't like Putin, watch mainstream news, because yeah. they've already covered all of it. <laughs> right, exactly. You don't necessarily need to hear me repeat everything that's on NBC or wherever the hell you're watching things, because, yeah, yeah so he's I, a bad but, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, unlike the future Putinism, Zelayism, this lie was actually a pretty okay guy some some maybe outdated uh not so yeah, leftist ideals but you know solid dude liberal who has you know whatever you you, you got plenty of certainly better than what they've decided to put in there yeah <laughs> yeah um so then i i apologize to to phil because my document i was trying to organize it and i did a horrible job of it oh, but we're no, hopping I'm, up I'm to keep, pan americans pan-americanism <laughs> okay so wait, I, I remember this phrase from uh, history class it was when uh one of our most noble and honest men of President Woodrow Wilson was in charge. Yes, right? the man who uh, screened uh, Birth of a Nation in the White House in 1915. Yeah, truly, truly, a, truly a representative of just what honor looked like in a presidency back in the good old days. Before, However, we had... apparently it is apocryphal that he said that uh, the Birth of a Nation was history written with lightning. That might have just been... Um, What's his dick? Uh, Griffiths, uh, D.W. Griffiths, who was the racist uh, director who lied and was like, oh, the president said it was history written with lightning. Ah, but well, uh, not a good dude. Whatever. All the same. Yeah. No, we, we should we should note that uh, with my usual flair for cheesy sarcasm, um, Woodrow Wilson is just as just as high on the evil president's list as uh, any of the recent names you remember maybe i don't know bush might beat him but oh bush definitely beats him bush is evil but, like I, i'd say i'd say in bad. terms of damage done relative to the time in our nation's history woodrow wilson was not much better than trump no no uh the only difference is how much power they really wield um but woodrow wilson again is like he's he's like the first democrat in a while elected and they think there's this big switch in policy because he's he's a pan americanist he's a uh, he talks a lot about self determination and people do this a lot i i actually read a, as part of my history degree i was doing specifically what was uh, research on was what's called the wilsonian moment which was that self-determination between you know the end of the war in world war one and like the signing of the treaty of versailles all of these nations thought you know people who were once a part of the austro-hungarian or the now maybe the british empire or the french empire maybe they would get to have their due because self-determination was in the air at least according to them but uh they just meant self-determination for like Serbians, they didn't. They didn't want to go beyond the Balkans or beyond anything that would uh, threaten Britain or French hegemony in the Third World. Yeah, um, we could easily do a, a main feed episode. Or, I guess this is main feed. I don't know a, a numbered <laughs> episode. Uh, 
just about Pan-Americanism and, and its ripple effect on our history. I think that would be a good one, actually, because I have all of that information stored somewhere in this. I mean, I'd have to Rattling sift through some... you call a brain. Yeah, this horrible thing. <laughs> Six pounds of horrible meat. They just want to tell you how much everything sucks all the time. Yeah, I don't like it. But a lot of people do this thing with Wilson and whenever they look at his international, whenever they look at his foreign policy, um, they try and give him like these great motives. Um, like whenever when I was reading about specifically their involvement in Nicaragua, uh, the quote that is Wilson and William Jennings Bryan, who was his secretary of state. You probably have heard of him. He was big in the late uh, in the late 19th century. He was a very big uh, liberal Um in spite of their genuine sympathy for the Nicaraguans, made American intervention more paternalistic and expansive in scope by stressing the duty of the United States to educate Nicaragua for democracy. To achieve this end, Wilson coupled non-recognition with intervention. See, now that sounds like just the, the workings of someone who his heart goes out to the people there by crushing their society mm -hmm. and turning it into a field of money making at, at the expense of its citizens they do this still now like you can see this strain of thought in a lot of people where it's like we have to educate them we have to be this paternalistic kind of we have to steer them in the right way because for some reason our american chauvinistic fucking views are the only correct ones, even though I mean, we, we are the dominant force in the world. I mean, we literally put that front on for two decades with Iraq, and yeah. uh, I mean, more often we just didn't even bring up their citizens, but whenever we did, it was, oh, well, we, it's, we're doing this to save them from their evil oppressors by becoming the new evil oppressors. I mean, you remember recently there was this talk about, you know, um, people going over to fight in Ukraine, former uh afghanistan iraq vets who are like oh man it's finally we're going to go to a place where people are they they want to learn about democracy it's a it's a place that want our views and it's like yeah because y'all are fucking nazis and shit and the people that they, you're they fighting alongside they, 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 do you know what the difference between us and nicaragua is is nicaragua doesn't have as much money as we do yeah yeah it's like and the the idea too that's like uh but you know we were giving them the, our best, sorry, our sorry, best. Not Ukraine yeah Ukraine or whatever <laughs> but like we're giving them their we're giving the Iraqis and the Afghan Ghani, the people of Afghanistan like our best we're trying so hard to bring them democracy when they've been starved of it when <laughs> what did we bring them other than death and a puppet government that would, I mean, we had hoped open up oil interests, but still nationalized oil interests. Like, that's all that we got out. That's all that they got out of it. It's and then, of like course, as soon death. as we left, they went back to their literally the same rulers as before within like a day and a half. Right. <laughs> so, like. <laughs> Which, I mean, and it's not like the rulers from before. The rulers from before, I would say the big thing that we did, we did admittedly improve women's rights a teeny, teeny, tiny bit. Inside like, Kabul for yeah. a couple of years. And then, and then it was immediately we, in the countryside, the were case. basically funding uh, warlords who were pedophiles. So, like, on balance, well, yeah, what are you doing? But those, I mean, those pedophiles were going to be there anyway, Kyle. It's, yeah. America, it's America's duty to mitigate and manage the pedophiles. Who not else to make are they going to sell heroin to? The Chinese? <laughs> yeah, we sure as heck can't do business with them. 
In yeah, fact, we'll Jesus. talk about that in the news blasts. But uh, that's... <laughs> but essentially, um, so like they continue the paternalistic bullshit, like with this paternalistic <laughs> veneer at least. But it's the same dollar diplomacy because Brian, who's the Secretary of State, he 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 still has to essentially he has to encourage the brown brothers and the j and w seligman and companies those banks that we recall from the brown brothers actual copy uh who controlled the the customs receipts who controlled the loans at nicaragua he had to con- convince these private people these private companies to essentially hand off more loans so thereby continuing a a dependency I mean, I, I, on. I'm sure that he uh, did it though with just nice diplomacy and not with failed threats. <laughs> I mean, he 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 did it because the he has to be very nice to the bankers and William Jennings Ryan. He he's remembered very fondly, and uh, you know maybe he made plenty of good speeches, but like he still did the same dollar diplomacy bullshit, backed up by force, you know, uh, with Nicaragua. So, so veiled threats. Yeah, pretty Oops. much. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, well, we, we're doing this because we care about you guys, but but there will be guns involved if you step out of line. So, just just but that's how again out of love, yeah. guns of love for guns of love for the citizenry. And the, so, like, uh, bu- <laughs> yeah, but, yeah um, if you if you if you behave, then we wanted to give you our bullets of caring. So, like, none of this technically right now is the occupation right because a lot of this i by the time uh brian is in in we are technically occupying them but that's kind of just us it's it's a continuation of the same policies that led us to occupying them because the um Essentially, we have this conservative gun deferment under Diaz, who, again, is struggling financially, and it's impossible to pay back these 6% loans for millions and millions of dollars after he's already emptied the coffers to, you know, for the alley. Yeah, the country, that, the country is financially fucked. They're still expected to make good on the interest payments. Yeah, exactly. And so Minister of War, Luis Mena, another conservative, is like, fuck this. Uh, He's like, screw this. I'm going to go ahead and take over the government and stop this crap. At least maybe he can. Uh, he's not like a good dude, obviously. He just wants to take over control and maybe be able to cancel some more of these loans or debts. Um, but it went really badly because the other conservative, Shamoro, the general, again, who fought in the coup and then will eventually become the uh, impetus for uh, bringing our friend Augusto Sandino into this. Uh, He beats him back and uh, Mena has to ally himself with liberals, essentially starting off another civil war. And that was the pretext for the Taft administration to send in the legation guard. You know, protecting American ministers in business again, um, but also protecting the Diaz government in Managua. So he sends in several hundred American troops, Marines mostly, to Managua in 1912. And that's when he kind of secures Diaz's win, despite uh, the, you know, the war going on and the... uh, the massive unpopularity and in order to ensure that they stay that way and that things aren't going to go crazy the legation guard that taft initially sends stays there 
for over, over over 13 years. Yeah, so all they really needed was some, they, they were like, you know what? If, something, if things get bad enough, someone will push and then we get the right to push back. Exactly. <clears throat> it was, and so, oh, it's, you know, it's a classic setup. <laughs> yeah. So for 13 years, you, you have this round of knocking down liberal candidates, making sure that the conservative candidates that they all allow to be elected are pro-American enough. And they think sometime in the Coolidge, Coolidge administration, they think, OK, maybe things aren't so bad. Maybe things are cool. We've set up essentially a, a government that maybe doesn't explode. Um, we're going to leave. And this is 1925. The okay. American uh, Marines. I know we jumped ahead 13 years. Do we want to jump back to uh, the, the 1915 part of Brown Brothers, uh, hit her own self-admitted history? Oh, yeah. I mean, we can always hit more on this because they are um, pretty evil. And they're going to continue with it. So, yeah, they're still being relevant. So uh, they're, they're trying to recollect their loan. And, you know, this whole Civil War thing breaks out. We uh, take uh, control by force and then uh, we resume from their website. In 1915, Brown Brothers embarked on a second Latin American venture, this time on its own initiative, when it took 10% stake in the Mercantile Bank of Americas, a consortium bank organized by the Guarantee Trust Company. Partner James Brown had envisioned the Mercantile Bank as an international bank with branches throughout Latin America. By the late 1910s, this vision had become a reality, with the Mercantile Bank having acquired or chartered several smaller banks in Argentina, Colombia, Cuba, Nicaragua, Peru, and Venezuela. To oversee these branches, Brown Brothers proposed to engage British or other managers with knowledge of the region, but the president of Guarantee Trust, the majority shareholder in the bank, insisted on a purely American operation. This, as Brown Brothers partner Thatcher Brown later concluded, would prove to be a tragic mistake. So yeah, that uh, that's uh, basically they wanted to let everyone know, hey, while we're taking all these loans, we're taking on some of this financial quote-unquote risk all on our own, some we're... Uh, we're going to make sure that we stay purely American-owned. Yeah, American in the broader sense, but it's certainly, obviously, American in the United States sense. So, like, we can hop past where they continue to blame people in, like, Cuba. Um, it's, always the, it's always the brown people's fault. Americans it, it always is. up. Because there it is. He's mentioned it. It's a tragic mistake to make it just Americans. And uh, here we have critics assailed Brown's brother, Brown Brothers' role in the venture as evidence of Wall Street's outsized influence in government. Nicaragua, the nation thundered in a 1922 editorial, was nothing more than the Republic of Brown Brothers, a claim for which it later apologized, which it certainly fucking shouldn't have. Yeah. But honestly, I I gotta give some props. The balls to just put that on your website. Like, oh my god! Yeah, everyone, to put yeah, it up there. This is... And but then they follow it up. It's like, of course, the story more complicated is than more that. complicated. Well, it's complicated. Honestly, mm -hmm. well, it's complicated. Have become the new favorite words of liberals in regards. Oh, yeah. Anyways, I will, again, when we get to the news blast, I'm just so angry. <laughs> it's so fucking. Um, busy. But yeah, hey, go ahead and finish us off with this. Let's get uh, let's get into what they said right after it. it how it's, com it's complicated because the reality is the Mercantile Bank failed largely for lack of competent lo local managers that the Brown Brothers had proposed from the start. So it was, uh, it was the la it was the local managers messing up that made yeah. it a problem. It it's was, always uh, the caprice of those silly brown people and not the Browns themselves. 
Yes. How dare those uh, Nicaraguan local managers fuck everything up? The Nicaraguan loan, meanwhile, was part of a larger policy of dollar diplomacy in which the United States government tried to safeguard U.S. diplomatic and commercial interests by guaranteeing loans to countries in Latin America and East Asia. A 1916 treaty with Nicaragua, for example, gave the United States the right to build a Nicaraguan canal to rival Panama's and renewable 99-year option to construct a Navy base on the Gulf of Fonseca? Fonseca. Fonseca. Yeah, why not? The U.S. State Department, not the banks, was the main architect of these financial arrangements. Indeed, State Department officials reserved a veto over key positions in the administration of the Nicaraguan loan, which in effect gave them veto over the entire venture and leverage over the banks. Hooray. It was the State Department guys that was controlling our banks, even though like half of us at the bank were in the State Department and vice versa. No, I it's mean, a fun the, little, the, the moral no, of the story is the we can never blame the bankers, which is why we need to always be ready to bail them out if anything goes wrong, because right. they never did anything wrong. I mean, the people at the State Department can blame the banks correctly, and the people at the banks can blame the State Department correctly, because they're both, in tandem, at fault for demolishing a country. But... And I mean, at the end of the day, that's the key thing is as long as you can, even if you want to throw blame one way or the other, as long as the fallout financially doesn't hit either of those things, then that's for the fallout lands solely on the square shoulders of the uh, Nicaraguan people. That's the important thing. Yeah, I mean, they 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 say, close that out with being like, oh, for partners of of today's Brown Brothers Harriman, these are sobering reminders that no business operates in a political or social vacuum. Yeah, Brown Brothers, was, two Latin American gambits are both cautionary tales not to be repeated. And it's I mean, I'm sure the reason that they're not going to repeat those is because of the damn toll it took on the people and right. not because of the money lost. Well, not because the money lost and also not because we now live in some kind of society where you have to we live in a society where we have to uh, like have the moral high ground yeah have this posturing have this fake like oh we have to shade it in aid now which they were doing at the time too but all aid is is again more loans on the base more usurious loans you know six seven percent kind of loans to countries that cannot repay them because we have demolish their internal fucking uh, economy and then on top of those loans having conditions to be like okay you have to you have to do this that and the other thing to ensure that these businesses that are americans american owned or american imports or american exports you can't do anything outside of our interests so it's not aid it's the same thing it's just cloaked in another language oh yeah it's i mean maintaining a false moral high ground has always been the structure of liberal companies and uh, that's just gotten more and more prevalent in recent history yeah, it's just more but it's clearly so boring you, you too. Mean, for how much for how much they uh seem to half apologize for what they did a hundred years ago you can tell they weren't really that broken up about it the main problem was that it just didn't pan out right so that should tell you all you need to know about liberal banks in terms of what they actually like they would happily do this again today in a heartbeat if they thought it was going to make them enough money oh yeah and so i think now is a good time to hop into augusto sandino who is a big fan we have a. I, I don't want to. Thirteen years from a civil war. Yeah, so thirteen years of occupation following uh, the war with Luis Mena um, and the Coolidge admin. Essentially, you know, there was this anti-imperialist uh, group that was very. Uh, 
I won't say influential, but vocal. Um, and eventually, you know, it got a little silly to see a lot of Marines, not to, not so many Marines as Nicaraguans, but a lot of Marines dying in Nicaragua for what was obviously not American, not a regular American's interest. Uh, you know, sending sons and sending your sons to die in a country for the Brown brothers didn't make a whole lot of sense to most people. And so they start drawing it down and they drawing it down and the legation guard finally leaves in 1925. But in that same year, uh, Emiliano Chamorro, that same conservative general is pissed the fuck off because somebody has just won an election and that election was won by a coalition of moderate conservatives and liberals who, uh, he obviously disagreed with. And so he and his uh, ultra conservatives basically have an internal coup. You know, this is a guy who has in the past been very supported by the Americans. In this instance, they were a little annoyed because they didn't recognize him. He kicks out the liberal moderate government. Um, they are expelled or exiled or flee voluntarily into other countries like Honduras and uh, mostly to Honduras, but also to Costa Rica, and Mexico. Um, but they uh, people like uh, the the moderate conservative named of uh, Solorzano. He was the president. And then his VP, Juan Batista Sacasa, who would later become a, uh, a, a full-fledged president, were forced uh, out into the countryside as, long, as well as all of the parliamentary uh, liberals were kicked out of government. Yeah, just imagine banning uh, political parties from your government. Uh, from your government from having any power during yeah, uh, wartime. Gosh, it's so evil, what, what right? Kind of, what, yeah, what kind of country would do that? I mean, certainly not one of the ones we are waving the flags of. Yeah, certainly not. <laughs> Anyways, again, <laughs> getting ahead of ourselves, I just draw these parallels. It's always fun. It is. History, uh, history rhymes. Shamoro, he his coup succeeded, but his unconstitutional seizure, seizure of power went unrecognized by the United States while he was still the head of the government, so he had to do the same thing that they had been doing, bring back our old friend, Adolfo Diaz. He resigned in favor of that old mineral shill. Um, and Diaz so takes control again. He has again. like a robot mech suit, so the fight's <laughs> a little more challenging. Yeah, again, yeah. He's <laughs> been, this is this is like the third time that he shows up and he's got like, his eye is a laser beam now. He's got like yeah. total, <laughs> he's got go-go he, gadget like claws coming out of him. Yeah, you gotta you gotta make him buff, a little buffer each time. Yeah, <laughs> it makes the fight interesting. No. Anyways, um, yeah, so we're back to Diaz. How delightful! Yeah, he seems like a good guy. And so, like these guys, um, Diaz is in control. They're recognized by the United States again, uh, the, right after the coup. Uh, but the civil war follows this. Um, you know, liberal forces return at Bluefields, and they're headed by a man named General Moncada, who himself would in turn be a president. Um, and most of the liberal soldiers would work on, would basically fight over near Bluefields. But another figure, a lone figure in a very long, large hat, arrives back from his trip to Mexico. And his name is Augusto Sandino. It's a um, and so there's a, some interesting and kind of conflicting stories about Sandino's origins. Um, it is known that he was born, uh, his mother was an indigenous servant to a, uh, a mestizo, a white, um, 
or at least mostly white uh, landowner. And uh, for the longest, for a very long period of his life, he was just raised by his mother until his father came and claimed him when he was like 10. But then after some years, it's alleged that he, I can't remember if he committed some other crime or if it was he got in a scuffle and murdered a person, but he had to flee to Mexico and he fled in like 1916 or something. So he was there for a very long time. And so he saw in Mexico um, and became enamored with essentially this kind of this idea that, um, you know, he wanted to, especially in Pancho Villa's uh, Mexico in the in the um, it's called what was it? It's not the Porfiriato. Um, essentially, it's right after the it's right during the Mexican Civil War, which is, as we just heard from uh, Smedley Butler, Americans are involved, especially in the Tampico region. But, uh, you know, there's this war going on, civil war, as well as a kind of anti-American war that is headed by Pancho Villa. Um, and Sandino is affected by it. And he becomes enamored not just with the kind of anti-American fight uh, and the Caudillo kind of lifestyle, but also he sees that it's like... It, it, it's fighting for indigenous rights. It's fighting not just for peninsulares and not just for mestizos or, or white people in general, but like for the people who are indigenous to Mexico and to Latin America. Um, and it's also anti-clerical. Uh, you know, he's trying to, it, it's, it's removing the influence of the Catholic church, which had a horrible effect on a lot of people's lives in Latin America. So he has this entire formative experience there in uh mexico that a lot of people say like oh he's just a he's a he's a, a secret agent for pancho villa and that's why he's coming in he's an anti-american uh mexican spy coming in to to undermine you. american he influence in nicaragua mexican spy good for you yeah exactly. <laughs> i mean I'm, here's the problem i always get flack for like oh well you're just you're just anti-american and nothing else like no i'm anti pretty much any capitalist country but america's the most capitalist right so we're the, the biggest and worst so yeah <laughs> I, like i don't like the other ones but like we're the biggest and the worst we have the most power so we are the most evil um but yeah essentially he comes back and immediately shows off how fucking good at fighting he is um with like 29 men like he style. takes on a force <laughs> of 200 people in a village uh near uh, Leon, I can't remember exactly where it was, but he he without suffering any casualties, uh, harried that village. Couldn't take it, but twenty nine men, two hundred, and taking out several man, yeah. of theirs and not losing any men. Pretty impressive. Did that for yeah, it sounds like the kind of sounds like the kind of people we were dealing with in Vietnam. Yeah, exactly, because that's these are pretty much the same tactics. You're playing on a very you're not playing on a level playing field, so you have to be. Uh, smarter about it than he i mean obviously if you don't stand in line with all your gunmen lined up just in <laughs> rows and shoot in like taking turns like in a jrpg that's cheating it is cheating you know you have to <laughs> line up like that's Napoleon. how old school combat win was like an old school bad like uh tactical rpg fantastic no we should go back to that actually <laughs> <laughs> Or at least the people that I will fight against when the revolution yeah, they comes, all, they should go for they that. They should all just stand in lines for us. <laughs> Pretty please. And point um, in one direction. <laughs> facing away from me, actually. I don't yeah, I, I don't have any honor. Better. I'll do that. Um, 
Knocks on wood, yeah. uh, so, Minecraft. Yeah, well, I mean, no, it's coming and we'll definitely lose, but it's okay. Yeah, uh, I'm probably going to die. Whatever. I mean, we won't, but Kyle, neither you nor I will get to see the glory of the revolution if it ever comes. But if it ever comes, we're going to die. Likely in it, to be doomed. Yeah. We're, I think the nukes are coming. Whatever. We'll get into that later. Uh, yes. But um, essentially, he comes back. He proves very well that he is a great fighter uh, and he fights alongside the liberals, um, eventually to a standstill. Uh, where a uh, American named Henry Stimson, he's a part of the Coolidge administration, comes in and brokers a peace, of course, favoring the already installed, recognized Diaz government, um, but stopping hostilities. Everybody has to lay down their arms. There's something like 10,000 rifles turned in by the conservatives to like the 4,000 by the liberals. Um, uh, and as a part of that, they establish a... National Guard, a Guardia Nacional. And this National Guard is to be recruited, trained by, and led by Americans. Well, uh, that definitely will be in the interests of the Nicaraguan people. Yes. Um, the Diaz continued until, you know, in power until the liberals were allowed to elect General Mancada and the former VP Sacasa in turn, like both of them would take their presidencies one after the other. Um, but during that time, the Marines at, at one point numbering 5,000 uh, never left. And so as they continued in a, an occupation and as they continued to train these national guards in their more criminal ways, uh, Sandino and his Sandinistas continued the fight. Uh, I think at his height, he had somewhere around 800 people, but for the most part, he had fewer than 500 uh, soldiers fighting along, fighting with him, guerrilla soldiers, uh, and they harried the shit out of the Marines. They were never captured, or Sandino never was captured. They continued their fight for six years until eventually uh, a number of factors drew uh, the Marines out of out of Nicaragua. Well, still, sounds like this uh, Sandino guy is exactly the kind of guy we would love to have leading the revolution in that's bound to come in the future because he's like people like him give uh, the give the, uh, the uh, outnumbered and outgunned class a fair shake. Yeah. So um, I'm going to come back to the Guardia Nacional. I'll come back to this in a second because I want to talk a little bit about the kind of anti-interventionism and solidarity with fight back in the United States. Um, we don't have to touch on too much of this. Mostly I want to talk about how communists were involved because there were two kinds of groups. There was the anti-interventionists who we know are like the people like Brian who say they're anti-interventionists, but they still do loans and still do all that kind of crap. And still, they just don't want to see troops on the ground. But uh, the solidarity movement were people who were in support of actively in support of, uh, Sandino. Yeah, there's a. Uh, I mean, when you say lesser of two evils, that kind of it's very important that you focus on the word evil and not the word lesser. Right, but the thankfully but yeah. these guys are these are the good guys though. These yeah, are the good guys. Good. We can. I mean, if we're playing binaries, why not? These guys are the good guys, at least for the most part, because the yeah. the solidarity movement of the time was led by communists. Like that is a, a a feature of our of our history that is often forgotten about is that there was a very strong communist strain in America, at least from the 1880s until 
1849 or 1949 um with what we or 1947 i guess with taft hartley um but it was led by uh its front organization the front organization of this workers party of america which was called the all-american anti-imperialist league and so the league adopted sandino and nicaragua as its main concerns uh and opposed of course american involvement in the war and essentially, they brought in uh, a bunch of delegates to a convention in New York City and established a four-point plan for their opposition to the war. So uh, we had on that plan their widespread publicity among the masses of people in this country of the facts regarding the war against Nicaragua. So in other words, get the word out there. Yep, yep, yep. People, the people are on our side. We just need them to know. Exactly. They had to organize protests and mass pressure against the government to force unconditional withdrawal of the Marines. So, mm-hmm. you know, now once we get the people aware of the fact that they're on our side, then get them out on the streets to tell them, hey, we're on these guys' sides. Exactly. Moving on to direct aid to the Nicaraguan people in the resistance of the invasion in all its forms, meaning, you know, make sure that they can, if we, if need be, arm the people, you know, whatever you got to do. Um, and then drawing in of all possible forces to make the specific struggle struggle count in the general struggle against American imperialism. Yeah. So, so like, know, make make sure that they learn. Make sure that they see once they uh, that fucking with Nicaragua it was a bad idea, and that fucking with other communist governments is also a bad idea. And fucking with any like therein is the I think one of the best principled stances is that yeah we're fighting American imperialism. This is not just a fight for Sandino or for Nicaragua. This is for an end to the right then in the 20s, a a massive economy in America that is growing and growing and growing and sucking up this entire hemisphere and threatening to go further. Um, And I want to read this direct appeal for money because they were directly sending medical supplies, money to Sandino. And this is from the League, that imperially, uh, anti-imperialist league. If imperialism has its partisans, the enemies of imperialism have theirs. General Sandino's heroic little army does not lack supporters even in this country, the homeland of imperialism in the Western world. We ask you to contribute as generously as you can to fund to the fund which we are raising to buy bandages and medical supplies for General Sandino's soldiers. It is not sufficient for us in this country to say that we are against the use of American troops in Nicaragua. Concrete demonstration of solidarity with the Nicaraguan people is necessary. Send in your donation immediately. Every dollar is a blow for liberty. It's saying, yo, do some material shit. You can't just condemn whatever. And the FBI reported uh, following that, uh, that, issue you know that that direct appeal uh they reported that in april 28 the league and had sent forty eight thousand dollars in 1928 money to sandino through the mexican league noting that thirty three thousand of it had been collected by the league itself and then fifteen thousand dollars of that had been donated by the soviet union which i mean let's be real the soviet the soviet union was the only powerhouse communist uh, government really that's ha- had a chance in history and uh the only reason that it, it didn't get the chance to flourish into something better is that we did we did a 40 year long uh, kerfuffle against them uh to make sure that they they never uh, had any footholds in 
the rest of the global market. <laughs> the 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 so-called collapse of the Soviet Union is a euphemism. We tore it apart. Yeah, and we and it, it took a long time. We had to do it brick by brick. There's a reason yeah. that there's a reason that it uh, the Soviet Union was around for so long, even though we were opposing it the whole time, with the exception of during World War II, and even then, it was only like not active opposition just like fine kill hitler for us and then we'll go back to it and throughout this you know like there's this war of republic opinion like every fucking time we get involved in any of these things there's the uh people who are in on the u.s officials who are calling sandino and his followers bandits you know people who are not uh doing propaganda machine i'm sure worked very well in america because it always has and will likely continue to do so they because a, a part of the anti-interventionist opposition, uh, not just the solidarity movement, but the people who like in Congress were like, no, we can't do this. This uh, was unconstitutional because we were waging war without congressional consent. But the State Department was like, nah, this isn't a war. And therefore, it didn't need declaration of war, a congressional declaration, because it was a police action against organized criminals like Sandino, which... Yeah, Nicaragua was essentially American property, so, you know, we're allowed to do that kind of stuff without questioning it. I mean, like, that's, too, like, it's one of those early examples of, oh, it's a police action, it's Americans sending troops over there not in as in a war we're not at war in somalia we're not at war in yemen or in syria we're just uh you know policing and just we're just we're just keeping the peace with death yeah that's how you keep the peace uh president hoover after coolidge was out and after he was elected in 28 um president hoover uh basically kept that shit going he was like no he's a ba- he's a bandit he lives outside the civilized pale he's got to be brought to justice as opposed to his concerns as a revolutionary must be considered um, I mean, and c- caring about fighting fighting in the name of you know the rights of every nicaraguan citizen is uh, just about as like evil and self-indulgent as you can get right and so like after after 1929 these kind of the 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 anti-war movement kind of dies down a bit because people aren't as interested they started pulling back marines they're still there but they're pulling back marines essentially because they are training laguardia nacional who uh you know are essentially doing the same thing that we did in like south south vietnam uh it's just march those death squads right on through and kill everyone who uh, questions your presence right it's a policy of so-called nicaraguanization which is just you know in the same way as nixon did vietnamization uh it meant that the war was going to be less costly in u.s lives and u.s money because we're basically being like hey so you go die for it now uh, you uh, in the South Vietnam Army, go die. You in the La Guardia Nacional, go die. Because um, you're going to die for our interests. We'll send you guns, we'll send you money, but that's about it. Yeah, and, and make sure um, if you die with one of those guns, make sure that like your neighbor picks it up for you because we don't want to lose those investments. Right. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, at about the same time, um, there was a break between Sandino and the communists. Sandino himself, not a communist. He was um, he's kind of like a left liberal nationalist kind of guy. Um, and even that's a bit 
he, he's definitely a nationalist. We, he's not a total communist. Um, and by 1929, uh, you know, we're talking about this is when Stalin has kind of taken control of the international communist movement, or at least the USSR and the international communist movement had shifted to a, quote, ultra left position. Uh, I feel like it's a bad thing. Yeah, it's uh, I the the person who I'm reading this from was definitely not a pro Stalin person, and I think that it's fair to say that there were mistakes, including this one, uh, in kind of demanding a a a solid um, block of every fight has to be a fight for communism, um, which I think everyone every fight can be a fight for communism. You just have to engender it. Instead of demand it from people who are fighting for their sovereignty, so in, that if in the long run we get to being... where, if in the long run we get to the point where uh, communism is understood to mean uh, full rights to every human being, no matter your status, and the, the more, if nothing else, the dissolution of status altogether, then yes, everything, every fight should be a fight for the rights of all humans to have a good, happy life. But yeah, when when communism has. Uh, different tilts placed on it it's tough tougher to sell that yeah and i want to we'll close this up because it's already been pretty long but i want to get through to uh by 1930 the liberal anti-interventionist forces and the radical solidarity movement radical began to ignore the continuing intervention and um yeah, sandino so, kept so fighting for three it's, years it's, maybe it's still going on i don't know don't yeah, worry about it it's like whatever it's the so, same thing like after after 2009 did anybody really pay attention to iraq um yeah, we were just there for another 14 years and no right, one said a word whatever um but Without the aid of the United States intervention movement, Sandino still fought off the most powerful country in the world to a standstill. The Marines were withdrawn. A ceasefire was signed. In 1934, unfortunately, Sandino was assassinated. And the Nicaraguan Guard and Nicaragua entered a period of 45 years of brutal dictatorship by the leader of the National Guard who had organized Sandino's assassination. Uh, Somoza Garcia or, uh, yeah, Somoza Garcia, Anastasio Somoza Garcia, who you will know from me mentioning this before, the Somoza regime essentially ran that country until 1979 when the Sandinistas, the FLSN, FSLN, I can't remember exactly the name, um, an overtly yeah, socialist <laughs> movement uh, took the country back over in the name of Sandino. Well, that's uh, – th- that would be uh, – th- Basically, from the beginning of Samosa's reign to uh, to uh, more or less present would be if we ever did an episode three on Nicaragua. But mm-hmm. that is uh, that that is further down the pipeline. The important thing to know is, at least in the short term, uh, America's capital interests had some hiccups, but eventually it did manage to uh, turn Nicaragua into exactly what they wanted to for a good long yeah. chunk of time. Yeah, they did. Um... They they won, and we honestly. We don't like to admit it, but America does win more often than not. We do. We do. Having all the money and power uh, does help you do that. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's crazy because uh, Sandino, along with his brother, were – they were doing um, – they were in negotiations with the Sakasa government essentially to disarm his uh, EDSN, which was his National Sovereignty Defense Army. Um, and – they basically uh, he he gets safe passage, but as he's leaving the negotiations from Sakasa, the National Guards people under the Samosa 
orders, uh, pull him and his brother out and shoot him and throw him out onto a ditch off of a road. Um, yeah, so that sucks. it's like, there, I mean, whatever, a lot of, you know, unfortunately, what a lot of the, a lot of the ones who fight the good fight end up with fates like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Um, yeah. Doesn't Nicaragua is a great example of just what we'll do to maintain control of a right wing capitalist autocracy in any location that we decide is fit for fit to do so. Yeah, uh, cautionary tale, perhaps, um, but unfortunately, a cautionary tale that happened in real life. Yeah, one that we can't. Uh, there's no Uncaution. fable to this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, because of it, lots and lots and lots of very innocent people died and had miserable lives for, uh, you know, ha- more than half a decade. Right. More than half a century. And for it's That's like, what I meant. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's um, uh, the FLSN, the Sandinistas that take power in 79. They're the people that we know now um, when you hear about Iran-Contra. The Contras were fighting against the Sandinistas who had taken power in 79. Um, and those death squads continued to try and harry them. And thankfully, after losing power in 1990 in an election, they, they stepped down normally. It was no longer cost effective for the U.S. to keep its control. But consider, I mean, honestly, considering the, the uh, 50 plus years, uh, the 45 solid years of just uninterrupted power they got, I'd say they got a pretty worthwhile investment out of their oh, death yeah, squads. And they, they continue sadly. today still to to put out propaganda to try and yeah, undermine and the now influence. again a re-elected Daniel Ortega uh, of the Sandinista party. And it's funny whenever fund a, the, a South or Central American government like start saying we like our socialists and America is just like, no, you don't. No, you don't. Get out of here. <laughs> you like the other people who stole the name of the socialists but are actually connected to our banks. Yeah. But uh, I mean, that was that's it's over. That's happening in other countries. It was, it was in the past. You know what? Things are so much better now, which is why uh, after a nice little break to go re- top off our drinks or whatever, Kyle and I are going to move on to the news blast. The news. So I'm going to say something right up top. Uh, to go back to what something I said earlier, but I want to preface it right at the top of the news blast so y'all keep it out of your mentions. We don't like Putin. He's a bad dude. If you want all the reasons we don't like Putin, watch mainstream media because they are covering that element of it. Now yeah, we're going to cover also, the side mainstream uh, media. His in- intimate connections with American power in the uh, early 2000s and 90s. So don't forget yeah, about that, which they won't tell you about. Yeah. Putin's a bad dude. He sucks. Now, we're going to talk about the stuff the mainstream media isn't going to bring up. But first, Kyle, I do want to talk about something for the history. I mean, how wacky is it? A, a governmental leader during like a major wartime event saying, well, all these leftist parties aren't allowed to contribute to government anymore. But oh, man. That must have been something crazy. Nicaragua crazy. It was the only country in history to ever do that. Ever do that. Certainly wasn't done by Literally, like less everyone. than a week ago by a certain Volodymyr Zelensky. Yeah, or the Nazis, or which I, I actually, I'll I'll restrict that because I don't like con- comparing anything to the Nazis. But we've done it. I it's, mean, it's, we've it's, made it's, the Communist Party illegal, essentially. We've forced that on uh, a number of different countries who, like, wanted those loans. You know, it's an IMF adjustment. They need to make sure that the fucking – maybe it's not direct in writing, but it's essentially uh, a part of treaties to ensure that these people aren't in power. Yeah, but it's uh, – it's I don't know. It's just worth noting that uh, 
hero of the people, true national treasure who should be held up as like the greatest man to ever live, Volodymyr Zelensky, recently said that 11 leftist parties in his country just weren't allowed to do anything in government no. because they might be tied to the Russians, by which the, the Russian ties he speaks of are basically them saying, hey, the Russian citizens are suffering too, and them yeah. acknowledging that is Russian ties. Yeah, if you – again, we <laughs> – Oh my god, it's like, you have to have this double think, like always, to live in this society that, that demands these kinds of, these weird contradictory beliefs. Um, one that it's like, yes, we're fighting on behalf of the, the liberalism, like, it, it, like, it, <laughs> that, uh, fucking, um, if if Putin is exposed to liberal democracy, he will, like a vampire exposed to the sun, explode in a puff of light. Um, oh, actually, it, that, so you know what's hilarious to me? All these memes nowadays of, oh, if we make Putin gay, then it's such a big own on him. Like, oh, so the liberals hate gay people now? Yeah. When did they, like- <laughs> I mean, we remember that from the stupid, like, art art going up all over murals like of trump and putin making out like yeah. cool homophobia I guess. makes it homophobia is an own on them right it's <laughs> like i don't i don't understand i mean i guess if you're a gay person and you're trying to i don't know like own yeah, somebody I mean, that way i guess i can understand it but like the people who are straight or who are normal like or who, like 10 years ago would have been like well i don't know about gay marriage until the supreme court made the decision for them uh like if they're being all excited about it then fuck them that's well, stupid i mean and in that vein in the vein of the hypocrisy of liberal think um if you if you ask a liberal in any American context, are trans women women? They'll say, "Yeah, fuck people like J.K. Mm-hmm. Rowling." But it looks like Rowling might be getting uh, her her uh, second wind because apparently suddenly it's a complicated issue when Zelensky says that trans women count as men as far as not being allowed to leave the country because right, they might be needed fighting. for the military fighting. Yep. It's, oh, it's complicated. They I mean they have the genealogy of men, so they're better fighting machines. Which so, is yeah, silly so. <laughs> because like a lot of people uh, in the same reason like that. Um, What's her name? Uh, Leah. Recently, uh, there was a controversy about um, a trans trans woman who was competing in a swim swim meet who lost to a trans man who was competing in another swim meet. Essentially, they competed against each other in a in a cross gender. Uh, or that's I don't know. A, 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 what what would you call that co-ed um, yeah. race and. The trans man who transitioned from a woman, woman yeah. won. So it's like that. There goes your fucking argument, guys. Uh, and I, I do stupid. hear a lot of. Here's the thing: I hear a lot of like, "Oh, but what about like the testosterone counts? That affects output and performance." If if you're really going to estrogen. throw a fit, if you're really <laughs> going to throw a fit about how fair your the circus part of your bread and circus is, then you clearly don't have the right side of history in mind. You have just your own selfish indulgences it's stupid as shit it's like <laughs> firstly even, even, a lot even, of like, even in the offshoot chance that it is true that oh men are better at sports or whatever you want and the, the trans women therefore are going to perform better even if that was true all you're saying is my circus is more important than the rights of this person this but human it's also being. like of course whoever you know what i could have been a fucking fantastic athlete if only my body was built for it and i'm a man yeah, exactly 
It's, it, yeah. Sorry, everybody's different, and some people are good at sports, and some people aren't, and a lot of it is based on your fucking anatomy. And every different person seems to have a different anatomy, regardless of whether you've transitioned or not. And a lot of people who transition from male to female tend to lose a lot of testosterone, tend to lose – I mean, that's the aim – tend to lose a lot of uh, mass, you know, muscle mass in their, in their hormonal treatments. Uh, it's not a thing that – it, it's insane. It's just insane. Anyway, but and point being, point being, you know, the double standard suddenly is alive and well again when Zelensky yeah. uh, says trans women have to fight, then they can't leave. Um, they're not women in arm in my government's book, mm-hmm. but he's still a hero of the people, total champion. Yep. Um, we don't want to harsh too much on this though, because honestly, I don't know about you, Kyle, but I think that this Ukraine Russia war, the more we talk about it, the more we feed the beast. Yeah, I'm just getting so tired of having people yell at me about things, I, and I know that's like the least important part about it. Um, yeah, your feelings are valid too. Yeah, but, but uh, also people are dying, and that's something. Yes. And yeah, again, people are fucking dying. And no, I don't but want it, this goddamn war. And no, I didn't say that they want that the fucking Ukrainians deserved to be invaded. I've I'm getting tired of people whenever I'm just like, all right, and here's how we got here. Then being like, oh, so you say the Ukrainians deserved it? And I was like, when did I fucking say that? When did I fucking say that? No, I'm saying that we've been arming Nazis and saying that we pushed Russia into a corner and there was no reason for him not to do this, considering that he had lost everything up until that point. So it's like if you you can either play in the world where you recognize where real politic exists or you can play in this stupid fucking backwards ass uh, good guy, bad guy dynamic. But you have to choose one because right now you can't say, oh, well, we we need to keep the we need to be, uh, you know, sucking up to the Emiratis and the Saudis who are objectively bad people because we have real politic. We have geopolitics to consider and then go. But uh, good guy, bad guy up in Ukraine. It's obnoxious. Well, and for all the people who want to live in their good guy, bad guy, black and white world, they have to accept that part of the consequence of that is uh our country or not our country's response but our globe's response in how it's going to hurt the global poor because they can get away with it to which to wit what i'm referring to is biden saying on national television well because of this war we're going to have some global food shortages and people will need to learn to tighten their belts because uh clearly a war in russia and ukraine two of the least food providing countries in the world is going to mean that we have to throw tons and tons of grain into the fire so that we can't feed people yeah no it's um same deal that they did at the beginning of the fucking pandemic. It's a price ratchet. Oh it's yeah, a, and it's, it's it going turns to be used up, to benefit it does not capitalism. It is not. It and it is not a. It in no way, shape, or form accurately reflects our actual food stocks. Or mm-hmm. I mean, it may because, like I said, they may just start throwing chucking shit in the fire like they've been known to do because yeah. they have to keep that scarcity forced. Yep, uh, it's it's impressive to think that we. Um, firstly, we've degraded people's diets horribly since nafta but like the one thing you could say that is good about nafta is that yeah there's just like a giant glut of production now um which yeah i think is a good thing but there's also like we just toss it away anyhow we just we we've uh, made people's diets horribly shit and still do it just for profit because we'll toss all of that away while people starve in countries like yemen that we we've been We've killed 400,000 people in in a genocide. Yeah, yeah it's 
it's uh, just one more way that they can control our uh, lives with the uh, propaganda they've already propagated to begin with. And as long as we're paying attention to the war, that means that we don't have time to think about the uh, ramifications of their uh, absolute dog, uh, rat fuckery. Yep. You're not going to be able to... I don't know, man. Like, part of me still very much is like... I think one of the things that I'm trying to do to recapture my mania is to... Like like I'm in a fucking 12-step program, first acknowledge how powerless I am and how it, silly it feels to get angry about the fact that nobody nobody wants to listen to me tell them about Palestine or Yemen. They just want to feel good when they listen to NPR or watch the breathless coverage of Ukraine on their morning show. They want to feel like they're the good guys, and that's fine. Because at this yeah, point, I mean, they're about as powerless as I am. Over. Yeah. Um, but we, we here on Unsociablists, uh, we we would like to take a step away from the war for a second, which is something that really the mainstream news hasn't done much of. Like at all. And to that end, Kyle, have you heard of this uh, nearly $300 billion bill called the Competitiveness Bill? Would you believe that I have because I'm a fucking insane person? <laughs> But apparently no one else has. Mm. It's uh, almost $300 billion. And uh, here's the highlight reel. The goal is to, quote, unquote, promote healthier American uh, control of capital. Basically, it's to say, like, oh, we're going to stop. We're going to essentially stop doing as much trading with China because America better and China bad. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, it's at its core, some of the bills – if it was done, some of the bill's uh, practices as as claimed aren't entirely evil, but they won't. They will go through in a way that makes them more militaristic and evil course, because yeah. that's how we always do stuff. But the big issue I have with this bill is the little footnote of oh, out of this money that we're putting aside, uh, fifty five billion of it is to go to uh, a couple American tech CEOs, mm-hmm. and yeah. ten billion of it is to be written directly as a check to Jeffrey Bezos. Yep. 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 Uh, this is, if you guys remember, I complained about, (laughs) I I know it's hard to find what, what didn't Kyle complain about, but, uh, there was during the state of the union address, whenever, uh, Biden was like, we're gonna, there's a place about 20 miles west of Columbus, Ohio, uh, Intel's gonna make a new factory there and the average job is gonna pay 135,000 a year, but you gotta sign this thing. You gotta pass the innovation act so we can do it and it's yeah because the otherwise this guy isn't going to get his cut of the 55 billion the intel uh the intel fucking ceo who he had in the audience stand up and get claps like yeah gotta make sure that they get their billions so that we can pass a small fraction of that onto the American mm-hmm. people. And bullshit, those jobs and are not course, gonna be hundred and thirty five thousand dollars a year on average. Maybe if you consider the CEO. I mean, yeah, and uh speaking of CEO, when I say a ten billion dollar check is going to Jeffrey Bezos, I don't mean to the Amazon warehouse fund or whatever. No. It is going to have his name on the check, apparently, from everything I've read and understood. Oh my God. Just send me over the fucking edge at this point, man. Because clearly he's he's the man in charge. He'll distribute he'll distribute it fairly and equally sure. to his workers. <laughs> yeah. So this bill is uh, just one one great way that America can pull the biggest bullshit on us while we're too busy waving blue and yellow flags. Yep. Let's pay attention. 
Because uh, if you if you have seen a word of it on MSNBC or on CNN about this bill, I'd be shocked. Yeah, I uh, I didn't see it there, so that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Bernie had a nice little video about it where he – I mean, he did praise some of the anti-China stuff, but, you know, his foreign policy has always been one of his weakest yeah, he's categories. Yeah, the best. In the, yeah. um, Although but, he did know, support he, the Sandinistas. Yeah. Hooray. So he's even, even he gets at something. I mean, he's he's better at foreign – when we hate on Bernie's foreign policy, it's by comparison to our gold standards, not right. by comparison to other American politicians. No, because <laughs> in, that, in that regard, he's obviously much better. Still, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so Bezos is going to get more money when this bill passed, and, and the bill has already passed the Senate, and has got very good polling in the House. Of course so, it uh, and Biden obviously supports it; he supported it during a State of the Union. So, anyways, um, that's going to happen. More money for billionaires, yay, America! And we'll probably and we'll take less China trade, which is always going to be obviously that's going to help the American public when we have less access to affordable goods. Yeah. yeah. At this point, it's like they're not coupling it with raises. They're not coupling it with a rise in minimum wage because they'll never do that. Um, yeah. No Democrat so it's be will more fucking money give for us the rich more people, money. But and more money for the rich people and more expensive crap for the poor people. And Republicans are just going to do the exact same thing. But like, I don't know, man, I just. But without the, but without sugarcoating that they don't that they hate all the minorities, right? They're just going to be honest about who they hate. Well, I guess the, I just I I hate that because like sometimes people are like, oh, you're just you like the Republicans. I was like, well, that's fucking obviously wrong. I mean, Bush I mean, is should... the least. It, he's evil. Bush is evil. Yeah. But y'all are okay Bush with him. So I don't understand how I'm the bad guy. Lifetime. How I'm the Republican because I hate Bush and you don't. But whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's honestly the, the the mental gymnastics they come up with nowadays to uh, reinforce the horseshoe theory are just very special. Yeah, whatever. I, Anyways, if um, that's what they want to believe, mind. they can have it now. I'm tired we of it. Keep in mind. I mean, obviously, it sucks that these billionaires are getting money, but not all billionaires are evil. Right, Kyle? I mean, look at Bezos's ex-wife, Mackenzie Scott. I mean, look it at Batman. Noted in the last year, in the last year, she donated almost one billion dollars to various charities. And oh that's wow! More than any other billionaire has ever done in a single year. Mm. And it should also be noted that in the last year, her net worth since divorcing Bezos has gone up by eleven billion dollars. Oh, so she gave about nine uh, percent of her increased wealth to charities, which definitely doesn't come with a write-off. And. Girl boss is slaying. And mm. if you like, yes. if you ask literally anywhere on social media, Mackenzie Scott is like, "Oh yeah, she's one of the billionaires going to heaven." She's got. I mean, it, I mean, I don't know if they believe in it. even the atheists are like, "Yeah, this is she's a real one." It's like she's a billionaire who's expanded her wealth. If you want to find a good billionaire, it would be a billionaire who is no longer yeah. a billionaire. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, well, that too. <laughs> I, I mean. That's no, I, I mean, because a dead one is still, they're still evil. They're just no longer alive. Well, that's um, the best kind of them, at least. Th that's not a good billionaire. That's a neutral billionaire. A good billionaire is <laughs> that's one a billionaire who that is well six no feet shorter. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's just, that's the real sad reality is there's this narrative going around of there are good billionaires out there. And you just, for, somehow it doesn't click in their brains that the money they're donating is a fraction of how, what, how much they earn in the same span. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, just, all the, it's all about the headlines for them. I mean, oh, yeah. don't get me wrong; she's donating to halfway decent causes like Planned Parenthood and shit. But yeah, I mean, there are, it, she could donate eleven billion to Planned Parenthood and still have thirty thirty seven yeah. billion dollars left. More money than you'd ever. More money than God, and it's like, 
obviously, you know, these people are going to generally it, it, it's not a good way of organizing a society is to hope that some McKenzie person is going to some lady who, in, you know, married I mean, and she made the her, most I mean, evil, she made bald her money guy in a harder in the world. way than most billionaires. She had to deal with Jeff Bezos for Ugh. like 10 years. That's harder, that's harder than most billionaires work for their money. That's that's actually very true. Is that weird lizard fuck? Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, it whatever. Yeah, she's you know. she's not one of the good guys because if she was, she wouldn't still be a billionaire. Right. If she was one of the good guys, she would have, I don't know, sent all that money to people that. Uh, she could know. have literally if it single handedly like financed a pipeline that could get clean water to the entire world over. Right. Or bought a shitload of all of this uh, surplus food that people were sitting on during the pandemic. Maybe that could have been bought and sent out to people. Maybe you could have done a million other things. But like the but answer I mean, to I, them I, is not to do things. It's to continue. And I mean, the to hoard wealth. Well, if she gives away her billions, <laughs> then she won't have the power to do good stuff later. But if you did a good enough thing earlier, you could change the world in the long term right, right. away, like a mm-hmm. snap of the finger. I don't know. It's, it's more tough, power than but, I will ever know. And yeah. that is something but, that I am know. supposed to feel bad about. I, I'm supposed to praise her because she is given nine percent of her yearly income away when one tenth of one percent would be more than I'd ever make in my life. Yeah, it's it's rough, but I mean the fact that she gave away almost nine percent of her earnings is, and that was worlds away from any other billionaire, just tells you how bad it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they're all evil. It's, yeah, um, I don't know. It's it's a rough world out there, but we have one big piece of news to celebrate. Something is a milestone achievement, a true true revolution uh, in our history that you will not hear a word about on mainstream media. We're over a million, Kyle. We did it. We've Over done a million it. COVID deaths. Mission accomplished. <laughs> One in 300 people in America have died of COVID. And uh, do you know what's funny? You'd think that number would be a big enough milestone that like any me- mainstream media would feel no, the man, need to bring over. it up. It's, it's over. Co- a thousand COVID. people every day are dying still. It's over. It's fine. I, I mean, the, it's the amount no of flack I've gotten for wearing a mask in public. I'm like, this the oh situation God. hasn't changed. It's the yeah. exact same situation. It's the same thing. They just changed the color on the bar graph. That's it. They said, oh, it's okay now. It's, it, even though, like, infection levels, obviously, basically the same as they were two months ago when it was, like, massively Omicron shit. Uh, it, it, whatever, you know? Uh, I mean, and it should be noted that Kyle and I are strongly of the mindset that we've been over a million for a good long time for a while. now. But this, no, is, this is probably and, closer and that, to We now have the now. official metrics confirming it. Yeah. And, that, and, and those infi- official metrics include all the coroners who refuse to report COVID deaths and shit like that, you uh, yeah. know? Mm-hmm. People there's a lot who of conservative with coroners COVID, out there. not yeah, because coroners don't have to be fucking coroners in most places. Don't have to be doctors. Don't have to have any medical experience. It's almost an ele- it's sometimes an elected official. So it's like so there's plenty of there's plenty of people out there literally f- reporting false numbers. There's still people out there who full on believe that COVID can't kill you and that it's just like, oh, if no one's ever di- I, I, I work with a guy who strongly believes no one has ever died from COVID and They've I can't talk to him anymore COVID. because if I do, I will likely get fired because I already got in trouble. I told the story, I believe, on the pod. Yeah. What a fuck. I don't. Yeah. 
So I just have to not talk to him when I see him. There is the other guy, the other the other so if you recall I say I worked with two neo-nazis I would now say I worked with one neo-nazi and one guy with some very bad takes who is growing as a person I feel like Francis is actually kind of working on him and I'm very happy to hear about that I've been like lately I've had conversations where instead of blaming minorities he blames billionaires and I'm like yes that's the correct move blame them so, I mean, it's it's a work in progress, but honestly, just knowing that my praxis is working on a single person has given me any influence to bother to still talk about this shit rather than just shut down from the entire human race. Yeah, I I want to bring on at some point, and I don't know if we're or if they're interested, but um, you know, dumb and awful. The, yeah. I've, I've tried to get you to listen to their stuff. I've listened to a couple episodes. Um, like they, I mean, I, I don't do – honestly, I, I lately I've been trying to use podcasts mostly as an escapism thing. Yeah, like, so yeah, yeah, yeah. The D&D the actual play, comedy bullshit. They do a know? lot of funny <laughs> shit. Like one uh, – Rob, who is the person who uh, I would be really I, – I like Brett a lot, the other guy. But he hasn't been – he's moved to like Boston or the Boston area and he's been very busy with other shit. So I don't think he would be able to do it. But – um Rob uh, has this idea of get five, which is get five people to be on board for your brand of, or not even your brand, but you know, but for left and anything for capital, left, actually for anti-capitalism, left. Yes. right? Yeah, it, it, left forget, by the definition of left, not by the American fake definition of left. Right, and get get five, and hopefully in the next, maybe they'll get five, maybe. If you can do these small things over time, and I think this has been influenced a bit by his um, his research into like liberation theology, but um, and I think he would be a bit flattered by the word research. Uh, the guy admitted admits very openly that he's dumb, which I don't think he's as dumb as he says he is. But I mean, um, I also admit that I'm dumb. Well, so, I'm you dumb know, shit, it's, that kind, so. it's that exact same kind of like. I'd say it's the difference between being. Uh, when you're when you're critical of yourself to an extent that you're actually paying attention to the world, then your definitions shift a little bit. But when I say I'm dumb, what I really mean is I haven't read theory and done all the stuff work I should do to be a good leftist. Yeah, theory is what it is, you know. And you can learn theory. Um, I think that Marxism is honestly the the best starting point, just to give yourself a framework, and then theory from there on is kind of laying on top of of that framework a bit more of a uh a bit more context a bit more narrowing things down and it it's i guess it's important it's good because i mean like otherwise i would feel bad about how much i've read um but it's not it's not i i don't know you can get it ho chi men ho chi men read it to people so it's not like you have to do it yourself well and for me it's i just uh I know I should. I still should take the time to educate myself further, but I certainly don't feel like I'm worried about getting swayed by the right wing due to my no, lack oh God, of theory no. reading. Yeah. yeah, like I'm at a point now where yes, theory would help me, like maybe fill in some of the gaps and specifically how to phrase stuff. You know, but yeah, my, my but like it's also my state of my sense of a uh, leftism is still one that's yeah, on par with it's solid good values. <laughs> it's solid. It's principled, and sometimes I think that I get trapped in it where I'm looking for some right academic-like term, and that's dumb because nobody wants no, – that's not how people talk. Yeah, I feel like 
I definitely had to, honestly, if anything, even as an uneducated person, I definitely had to uh, very heavily dumb down some of the core ideas to get through to this guy at work. Yeah. I mean, most of it, it's like, hey, do you hate your boss? Me too. Let's take money from them. But you know what? All the bosses are like that. (laughs) Yeah. Did you know that every single person who is a capitalist or supposedly a capitalist is like that? He's still, yeah, and I still haven't gotten him anti-capitalist, but I have gotten him to the point where he understands the very rich and the very powerful are Mm. bad. And he's finally at a point now where he admits that the Democrats and the Republicans are equally bad and that the Republicans aren't secret good guys. Yeah, they are. So that's honestly just getting him to the Republicans aren't secret good guys was a huge win for me. That's good. Yeah. He's not one of those. uh, Was he a QAnon person? That's kind of fun. Uh, no, he. Well, I mean, kind Maybe. of. He, he was more. Of, he was a more of generic conspiracy theorist. Like you know, he he was very big on the Clinton body count, but refused to acknowledge that Trump had done anything wrong in his history. Mm, you know, one of yeah. those guys. Yeah. So, I, I helped him. Uh, I, I, I just bit. helped him look at some information by using. Uh, he, fortunately, we're both slackers, so I was able to pull my phone out and like show him some actual like oh, yeah. documentable proof of uh, things. Nice. I don't know. It's again. Even if it's even if it's not a complete job, any small amount of praxis makes me feel slightly less like I need to shoot myself in the head. <laughs> yeah, a, a little bit of reinforcement with, you know, this meaning something. Yeah. Anyway, uh, and not that it really does, because we're still well over a million COVID deaths, and that number is going to keep climbing. They're not going to talk about it. Well over a million um, COVID deaths. Um, you know, the billionaires will still receive extra funding from our own personal government's checkbook um, kids are gonna be really fucking screwed over by the lack of ventilation in schools and all you're gonna hear about is russia bad ukraine good yep um so right up until well, the point where a nuke drops and vaporizes us all and well here's the thing we here's the thing for one i still don't think nuclear war is gonna happen because i think that Everyone has a survival instinct. But if we do box Putin into a corner where he has no incentive not to drop a nuke. If he's going to die, why wouldn't he? Yeah. <laughs> if, we, if, we're, if we get to the point where we actually do have him dead to rights, then of course he's going to drop nukes. He knows that the game, the game is up. He may as well. But, and, and, but the good news, you can take heart in that, Kyle, because for every nuke the Russians drop on us, we will have one to send right back their way. So when you're dying Hooray. in an incendiary fireball, you can just feel like proud American pride of knowing we're also blowing up a bunch of innocent Russians. I'm just ho- glad that now that I live in Philly and like near Center City, Philly, I'll probably be vaporized. I probably won't have to deal with much of yeah, the... Horrible pain. Uh, St. Louis might not be a big enough target. I might just have. I might just have fallout and. Yeah, you might get I love all these quote unquote, I like all these quote unquote liberal good guy articles of nuclear war won't be that bad, guys. Right. Look, it, it, no, it'll just be a little worse than normal. Just a theory. Fuck off. It, it'll just be a little bit worse for like twenty or thirty years, and then we'll be right back to normal. Yeah, buddy. Sure. I don't know. It's. It's disgusting. War is sickening and always will be. Can we th- honestly, I feel like that's just got to be the takeaway is here's where we really differ. It's not that we support the Russians is that war bad and our where our country says war good, but only for the good guys. Right. Uh, it's it's <laughs> I think nobody war in bad this is pretty, pretty tough sell, apparently. Yeah, apparently uh, nobody in this system, in this global system, which we have designed is a good guy. And we are the most powerful person in that global system making us the most powerful bad guy. So bad. Well, sorry. Um, yeah, yeah, it sucks, but there is, I mean, there's small sparkles of hope. And if anything, for this, uh, talking to this guy at work and the recent reactions I've been getting out of in the last week or two have been 
absolute proof that the most important thing you can do is just, even in the face of everything going to shit, keep pushing out as much love and solidarity as possible. Love and solidarity, y'all. It can be told in few enough words. We are not certain of his intentions even yet. They talk. So I am told. He's raising the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour, a radical idea. Is making sure that all of our kids have the opportunity to get a higher education, regardless of their income, because we're going to make public colleges and universities tuition free, is not a radical idea. This is a scientific poll. You hearing this? Is doing what every other major country on earth does. I live, Jane and I live 50 miles away from the Canadian border. Somehow they managed to guarantee health care for every man, woman, and child in that country at half the cost that we spend per capita. Is guaranteeing health care to all people as a human right a radical idea? No! Is addressing the existential threat of climate change a radical idea? No! All right, I rest my case. All right. <laughs>